our text for today, just two verses, it, it's actually a part of a, a collection of sayings that, that Luke compiled, uh, collections of things that Jesus said. And so, um, I mean, it's pretty serious stuff. The, the first one, uh, in, in verse 1, he says to his disciples, occasions for stumbling are, are, are bound to occur. And it is, it's that, that time he says, but woe to anyone who causes anyone to stumble. Uh, it'd be better if you had a, a millstone tied around your neck and you're thrown into the river. It's like to hear Jesus say something like that. It's like, yikes. Um, the, the next saying um, it's kind of a warning. He says, he says, be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And, and, and he says, even if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive them. So there's a couple things there. Like, first of all, when you sin against me, Jesus says, it's my responsibility uh, to approach you with that. And, and that flips too. Like if, if, uh, I sin against you, then you've got to rebuke me. Um, and that forgiveness, like there's no limit to it. And so the disciples are feeling this, um, the weight of being leaders of this new movement, this new way of being. And that's what kind of spurs their, their requ- request. They're like, hey, like, this is impossible. Um, our faith is not big enough for this kind of stuff. And so they say, increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell this mulberry tree to be uprooted and it would be, and be planted in the sea. You know, it's kind of one of those outrageous sayings to make a point. Uh, Fred Craddock, when he writes about this passage, he says that in the Greek language, um, this, this conditional phrase that Jesus uses in, in verse six, that it can be translated, if you had faith and you do. Meaning that Jesus' response to them is not a rebuke uh, of a lack of faith or absence of faith. What he's actually doing is affirming the faith that they have and, and inviting them into uh, the living a life in the possibilities of that faith. Uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, faith is like a window. And it doesn't matter if the the window is six inches high or if it's six feet high. What matters uh, is the God that your faith is looking out on, you know? So if it's the God of creation, if it's the God that's active in Jesus, and that's alive in, in the Holy Spirit, then, you know, a, a small hole of a window is big enough because we catch a glimpse of this God of power and this God of, of possibility. So, Jesus says, our faith is like a seed. And every seed has a story. Now, I love carrots. (laughs) And there was a book written in 1599, so like over 400 years ago, 
by this guy named Richard Gardner. He was a, a draper. He made drapes and he lived in Shrewsbury, England. And he wrote kind of the, the first gardening book. And, and, and the title of this book um, you know, is something like how to, how to prosper by manuring and, and, and sowing and, and growing the, the kitchen garden. And, and he loved carrots, like carrots were his thing. And, and so he writes in this book about how the large yellow carrot and, and the, the small fat yellow carrot, they are the best and fairest of roots. And he writes in this book that um, you should grow as many carrots as you possibly can and that you should give gratitude to God daily um, uh, in this humble prayer uh, for the single most important gift. It's really kind of funny. Uh, but carrots are highly nutritious, actually. Uh, and it's reported that he's given credit, this Richard Gardner, kind of interesting his last name, isn't it? Um, he's given credit for saving many lives of poor people during a famine uh, because he gave them his carrots. He gave them his carrots. So Kara Scyther on staff, she's growing uh, carrots in her garden. And she told me the other day that the way you grow really good carrots is to cover them for, for two weeks. Uh, you cover them in darkness. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, it, it reminded me of um, something that um, Barbara Brown Taylor wrote. Um, she, she wrote a book called Learning to Walk in the Dark and um, just the things that she learned in the dark, uh, how those things saved her life. Um, things that she could never have learned in the light. She says, Resurrection is always announced with Easter lilies, the sound of trumpets, bright streaming light. But it did not happen that way. If it happened in a cave, it happened in complete silence, in absolute darkness, with the smell of damp stone and dug earth in the air. New life starts in the dark. Whether, is it, whether it is a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. So, um, the avocado is a staple if you're 90% vegan like me. <laughs> you know, every once in a while you're going to eat some fish or a cheese pizza. So, so the other day... Um, Ross said, hey, Dad, come, come look at this. This is so cool. And, and I go into the, to the kitchen, and he's holding this seed. And I'm like, what is that? Is that an avocado seed? And he's like, yeah. Isn't that cool? And I'm like, Ross, that's amazing. I'm like, avocados don't grow in the mountains. Like, they don't belong here. They can't survive here. And he's like, yeah, I know. And yet, look at it. And I'm like, will this thing bear fruit? And he's like, I don't know, I think it can. He says, but, but at the very least, it'll grow into this beautiful house plant. And he showed me a picture of the possibility. And I thought, how cool that this seed that doesn't belong, uh, it has hope uh, to become something beautiful and possibly even something uh, fruitful. So um, over in Cherokee, just, just over the hill, um, Kevin Welch uh, 
I don't know Kevin Welch, but I read about him. He founded um, the, the Center for Cherokee Plants or something like that. It's a, it's a Cherokee seed bank. And what he does is he, uh, he saves and he propagates the, the native, I guess, heirloom seeds uh, from, from the Cherokee people. And I mean, he teaches the kids. Uh, he teaches the Cherokee ch children and he says to them, now, we Cherokee, we're not horse people like the Plains Indians. He says, we're not um, salmon people or fish people uh, like the Indians in the Northwest. He says, we're not desert people uh, like the Indian tribes in the, the Southwest. He said, we come out of the woodland. We're agriculturists. He says, we have um, planted our food and gathered our food for over 6,000 years. We're seed people. I love that. And he tells the stories of the seeds of the Cherokee people and how they're connected to the people. And so the, the, the Trail of Tears pole bean is one of them. And I can't get a Trail of Tears pole bean. I tried. I went online to order one. But you have to be a member of the Cherokee Nation. Because, you know, um, the Cherokee people have just been, um, you know, um, uh, that's the word I'm looking for. But anyway, they're trying to protect a part of their culture. Everything's been, been taken from them and, um, you know, used in, in different ways. So anyway, it's this black shiny bean. And uh, it's called the, the Trail of Tears bean or pole bean uh, because when uh, the Cherokee people who had for generations um, grown this, this bean in these great smoky mountains. Uh, when our federal government um, marched them from our mountains to the reservation in Oklahoma, the Cherokee women had them hidden uh, in their long skirts. Not only because it, it was a seed that had, you know, guaranteed their survival for, for generations and generations, but some say that they also carried them as a symbol of hope and as a, a reminder of home. There was a, a big maple tree um, just down um, from my mom and dad's place at Brooks Howe Home. It was a big tree. Uh, my kids always climbed in that tree, and, and uh, my niece and my nephew, when we were all to, you know, together for family gatherings, they would be, just be in this maple tree. It was an old tree, and it got diseased. And so the folks at Brooks Howe decided to cut it down. Um, I mean, that made my mom and dad really sad. Um, they loved that maple tree because their grandkids loved that maple tree. So that's why they bought a new tree and, and the gardener uh, planted the tree in the same place and it's growing uh, and doing really well. And so that's kind of cool. Um, I love maple trees. When I was seven, my tree house was in a maple. When I was seven and the April winds blew hard. I would chase after the helicopter seeds. Or I would gather a bunch of them up and I would toss them in the air. 
scatter them into the wind. In the book of Acts, chapter 8, Luke wrote that book too. He talks about uh, the winds of persecution that blew and that scattered the church, that scattered the disciples. And in chapter 8, uh, you meet Saul, who becomes Paul, one of the chief persecutors. But the chapter is largely about Philip. We meet Philip in chapter 6. And it says that when the persecution began and everybody scattered, that, that, that Philip goes to Samaria. And so there's stories about, about Philip uh, in Samaria. And then there's a story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now he's in, he's in Gaza. It's like um, on this wilderness road. And, and, and it's just an awesome story um, about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then it says after, after that story, uh, <clears throat> after he baptized this Ethiopian, it says um, that the, the, when, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself at Azotus, and it was, as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. <laughs> That's really an awesome story. When the winds of the Spirit begin to blow, there's no telling what can happen. So, uh, Kevin Welch from... Uh, the Center for Cherokee Plants. He says, Our heritage lives in these seeds. So when we give seeds to people, we're empowering them not only to grow, but to revive culture. So, uh, Jesus says that our faith is like a seed. And, and he says, that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So on the night that he gave himself up for us, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it says that when the supper was over, he took the cup, the cup of salvation. And he says, this is my blood of a new covenant, a new thing that's happening. Take this and drink it in remembrance of me. So in remembrance of me, uh, these mighty acts of salvation... Remember the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And it's this great prayer that we pray every time we gather around this table. Oh God, that your wind would blow, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on those of us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine and that you would make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. 
Make us one with your spirit. Make us one with each other. Lord, our prayer is a prayer of confession. That we have failed to love you with our whole heart. We have failed to love our neighbor. We have failed to hear the cry of the needy. We have failed to be good stewards of this earth of your creation. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus. Till that day when Christ comes in final victory and we feast at that table, at that heavenly banquet. And we ask these things in the name of our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ given for you. Amen.